You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I'm going to have you open your Bibles with me this morning over to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. So I don't want to freak anybody out, but I'm actually going to talk about and teach on something that pertains to the season we're in, which I almost never do. I almost never have a Christmas message on Christmas or an Easter message on Easter. But I really felt like um, this week and next week, maybe even beyond that, but at least this week and next week, I wanted to talk to you about the the Passover week and the Passover season uh, that we read about in the scripture when Jesus came into Jerusalem and then ultimately laid down his life for us and was raised from the dead. Um, it's important, I think, for us to understand that for generations, for I think something like 1,500 years, God had Israel rehearsing through a series of seven feasts. There were four in the spring, three in the fall. There were festivals that God gave to Israel and the, the intricacies of each of those festivals speak clearly of what Messiah would be like and what he would do. And, and when I first started learning about these things, it just, it just opened. It, it, to me, somehow it made God's plan not only clearer, but bigger. That here for hundreds of years... He had real people in real time going through these festivals and ceremonies and each one of them spoke of an aspect of who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. And, and, then, and then Jesus came and fulfilled them in real time. And that's why the reason that Jesus went to the cross when he did, and the reason that Jesus was in Jerusalem that week, and the reason that this is what we call Palm Sunday, the reason for all that is because it all tied into three of those festivals. All right, we always talk about Passover, and, and it, the overarching festival was a week long, and it was called Passover, or the, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But within that week, there was Passover, there was a day of unleavened bread, and then there was the day of first fruits when Jesus was raised from the dead. And each of those, again, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Israel kept these feasts year after year, not fully even understanding the, the image, you know, the, the illustration of what Messiah would do, but Jesus came at that time and fulfilled each one of those feasts in real time. The ones in the fall are still coming after his return. Those fall feasts have not been fully fulfilled in person by Jesus yet, but the spring feasts have. The fourth one is actually Pentecost, which is 50 days after these three. Okay, So I'm going to just give you some groundwork today and I hope you're awake because you probably need to think about some things, um, write some things down. Next week, we'll come back to some of this because there's some of this that we need to understand the Jewish timeline and the Jewish calendar and even the way they looked at each day was different than what we do, okay? And so, so next week, I'll try and do a better job, have some things up on the screen for you, some, uh, some diagrams and things that'll help with this. Uh, but again, we're doing this because once we understand these things, number one, how many of you have ever wondered how it is that Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon, raised Sunday morning, and that was three days and three nights? The rest of you are lying. All, all of us, or you've had some good teaching around the way. Um, this is explained as we understand how they looked at their days and looked at their time, and we understand what this feast was about. So I'm just going to give you some one-liners here, and you can tuck them away, and then we will come back to this. But just think about it uh, with me, and we'll get over to Exodus in, in just a minute. Because again, 
This was the feast of Passover. It celebrated and remembered when God delivered delivered Egypt, delivered Israel out of Egypt. And you'll remember, we're going to read about it in just a minute, that they each house had to take a lamb, and, and that lamb was killed for each house. Every house had to do this. They put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and on the sides over there. And, and that final judgment in Egypt was a judgment of the firstborn of everybody was died. The, this angel came and killed every firstborn, livestock, uh, uh, humans, everybody, the firstborn died. But those Israel, when they had put the blood of the lamb over them, judgment passed over their house. All right. And that's what the feast of Passover commemorates. But let's first, let's talk about this. Number one, Israel had, and I think to this day has, two separate calendars. All right. One is the civil calendar. The other is the religious calendar that was given to them by God. And the month in which Passover occurred was the month, it's, it's uh, called Nisan or Nisan. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to, it's, it's not, any of you who has a Nisan vehicle, same word, okay? Uh, but that was, it was the month, it's basically March, April. It's right in there, it's in the spring. God said, and we'll read it in a minute, in Exodus chapter 12, this will be the first month of your year. And so on the religious calendar, this was the very first month. And Passover happened in the, in the very first month of the year. All right, so, so that's the calendar. Passover was the first feast. It speaks of the Messiah dying for our sins. It was the first feast of this uh, series of feasts that they have. All right. I already said that this week of Passover actually contains three separate feasts, and we'll look at that more next week, really. All right. Um, so we're going to see, well, let me, let me give you a little bit more of that. Okay. As we look at that week, and again, we're going to do a little more of this next Next week. This week we're mainly going to focus on his entry into Jerusalem and a couple of other things. But as we look at that week, we see that, and we look at the way they recorded time. Okay, and this is one thing that for me, I just had to, I had to see it laid out on paper for me. When they looked at their day, okay, the Jewish day, and many of you know this, it began at 6 p.m. The day began at 6 p.m. Our day begins at 12 a.m., right? We get to midnight, and the next second, it's the next day, right? Everybody got that? For them, their day began at 6 p.m. and went to the following day at 6 p.m., all right? So that's part of why there's confusion about some of the things we read in the Scripture, because we're thinking of our days, they're thinking of their days. So 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., they called the first part of that day from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. They called that night. Makes sense, right? They called that night. And then from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., they called day. They split the night, I don't know why, into three four-hour watches. In some places in the Gospels, you'll read that it was in the first watch of the night, second watch of the night, third watch of the night, right? Three four-hour watches from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Then they split the day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., into four three-hour time periods. All right? So when we get to... <laughs> sorry, you go ahead and shake your heads. That's all right. You'll hear this a couple of times. You'll get it. So, so we start at 6 a.m., and, and they would say, at the third hour, well, that's 9 a.m. At the sixth hour, that's noon. At the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. And the twelfth hour was 6 p.m., then we go back into night. Does this kind of make sense to you? Okay. So we've got to remember that as we begin to look at things. Uh, again, especially next week, we've got to remember that when Passover Day began, again, began at 6 p.m., on what we would call Wednesday, okay, but it was switching over to Thursday. We'll look at all that. I won't go too much more into that because it'll just, 
you'll just start to daze out completely. But the, one of the important things about that to me, the Jewish day begins with evening, 6 p.m. Darkness comes first, light comes next. Darkness comes first, light follows darkness. In our Western thinking, okay, Mostly, we think, because we don't even care about midnight, honestly, most of us. We don't, we don't think about that. It is the beginning of the day, but we don't really think about it. We live our lives like light comes first and darkness follows. Night follows day. But ever since creation, remember in, in the Genesis story in creation, it, as, he, as God creates the earth, it says, there was an evening, there was a morning the first day. I think that's significant because in God's heart, and I believe he wants it to be in our heart, light follows darkness. Light overcomes darkness. There may be a night and things may be difficult, but daylight is coming. I believe that even when we look at the whole plan of God and we look at the end times, all right, it's going to get darker for the world, But the church is supposed to be shining brighter. It's supposed to be becoming more glorious. When we think that night always follows day, we get this impression that, man, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse, and we're just going to hide here until Jesus comes and rescues us. I don't believe that's the way we're supposed to look at the end times. I think we're supposed to have an expectation of the glory of God rising and shining upon his people and that light follows after darkness. That makes sense to you. Okay, so that's how, that's how they looked at their day. And another thing, and we learned this years ago, and I'm not just saying this, you guys are here, obviously, but we learned a long time ago that if we wanted to solidly give God our Sunday morning, and I never put it in this context before, if we wanted to give God our Sunday morning, no questions asked, no hesitation, no messing around, no getting up and then deciding are we going to church or not, we had to make a choice in our life to give God Saturday night. And I've seen, a, a, this is, it just works. It just works. You give him the evening, he'll have the morning, okay? If you don't, if you just leave it up to, well, we'll see how everybody feels in the morning, you know, then a lot of the time, depending on where we are and where we, you know, where we are spiritually, then uh, something else comes up or I'm tired today or whatever. But when you give him the evening, morning follows naturally after. Does that make sense to you? So there are a lot of ways that we can, we can apply this. So did you find Exodus chapter 12 yet? All right. So let's go back and read this because this is where God instituted Passover. So at this point, Israel is still in Egypt. The last plague is about to come through, and he is giving them Passover. And and let's just begin. I'm going to begin with verse 1. We're going to read about 14 verses here. So it says, Exodus 12, 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. I love that. This month, when I deliver you, I'm about to deliver you from Egypt. I'm about to take you out of slavery. That's a picture of the new birth for us. It's a picture of us coming out of darkness, coming out of sin, being the the judgment for our sin, being, being taken and passing over us because we have put the blood of the Lamb on our house. And that for us, it speaks of new life. That is the first month. And I'm not saying we all have to go to a new calendar and remember when we were born again and all that. I'm just saying this is a great mindset. He's saying when I bring this deliverance, there's a new life. All right, this is the first month for you. All right, so they begin to live by this other calendar because this is when God set them free. Does that make sense to you? All right, so in verse 3, he says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. All right, so every household had to have their own lamb. 
they had to put the blood of that lamb over their doorposts. Every household. You couldn't just borrow the neighbor's lamb. You couldn't. This is a personal participation event. The same way that every person has to personally take the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness that comes through the cross. We have to make that personal commitment by faith to receive Christ for ourselves. All right, and, and so he says it this way. And again, remember this, this occurs on the 10th of this first month, the 10th of Nisan, okay? So it says on the 10th of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for every household. Now, he said, and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. All right, so the idea was if, because he's going to come along here in just a minute and he's going to say now, all of that lamb needs to be consumed. You don't get to leave any. You can't leave any till the next day. If there is any left over, it needs to be burned. And the picture there is we need to take all of Jesus Christ. We need to take the whole fullness of the word of God into our life. All right. We, we don't get to pick and choose. I know we do a lot. We're kind of cafeteria people in this country who like to, well, I really like the grace part, but I'm not so much into the justice part. I'm not so much into the, the sin matters part. I just, I like the grace part. I like the love part. But this part over here, eh, just don't read those. Now, this is a, this is a picture of the fact that when Messiah comes, each household, you got to consume it all. So, so in this case, if there were two small households, okay, you can take one lamb but it has to be eaten and it all has to be used, all right? So in verse five, it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. So a male of the first year, and this can, by the way, be either the word for lamb means either a a lamb or a kid goat. But either way, it's gotta be without blemish, no imperfections, okay? No spots, no wrinkles. It's gotta be a perfect lamb. And uh, it needs to be a male of the first year, which the idea there is it's, it's mature, but it's young, okay? At least that's as much as I know about it. Lamb of the first year, Jesus was mature, but young, okay? But without blemish, it's got to be, you've got to select this lamb carefully because it's going to represent the lamb of God that God is going to send. So your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. All right. So what day did you get the lamb? 10th. You keep it until the 14th. So there's four days there. Those are the four days of Jesus' life we're going to look at this morning. That lamb is kept and examined for four days before it is sacrificed. Okay. Um, You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. All right. That word twilight doesn't mean sundown specifically. It, It means between the evenings. It's a word for between the evenings. And it specifically speaks of the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Speaks of 3 p.m., which is when Jesus died on the cross. All right, so twilight, it, it speaks of 3 p.m. So that's important for us to, to understand. Isn't it amazing? Everything that was laid out in here, Jesus did it specifically. Everything that happened here. Uh, verse seven, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire. Fire in the scripture often represents uh, judgment, okay? So you couldn't, and he says that, you can't boil it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head, its legs, its entrails, again, everything. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. 
and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hands, so you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Picture is there, they were ready to travel. They ate the lamb with an expectation of freedom, an expectation of moving from one life to another, an expectation of transformation, of change. Uh, that, that really is a picture of the sanctification, the change that goes on in our life after we receive receive Jesus. And really for the rest of our life, he continues to change us. We are to be a people who are ready to change. We're ready to move. We expect that he is going to be working in our lives and changing who we are. Does this make sense to you? Okay. Uh, Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a, uh, for a shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day is to be a memorial. It shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this is the place where the Lord gave us, gave Israel the Passover feast. And he said, you will keep this. You will do this every year from on the 10th day of that first month, you will take a lamb. And on the 14th day of that month, that lamb will be killed. And that night, you will consume that lamb. And, and as time went on, and, and the Lord gives more instructions here about there was, there was more to the meal than just the lamb. And, uh, and you, can, you can read about that. But where, what, what, we, what I want us to get this morning is there was that time that lamb was taken on the 10th day of that first month. And that for us is this day, okay? It is uh, Jesus, when we read about the triumphal entry of Jesus, in fact, let's just talk a little bit. By the time Jesus, by the time of Jesus' day, okay, two things were going on. Number one, this feast was one of a few during the year that it was required attendance. You had to be there, okay? And, and it was required attendance. I think by the time Jesus came, there was a certain distance from Jerusalem. If you were that far from Jerusalem, it was required for every male to show up for this. So people were still taking a lamb for their own household, and there was a Passover lamb that uh, the priests took into the temple and sacrificed for the nation. So both of those things were going on. And people would take that lamb and they would bring it into Jerusalem. And they would present it before the priest so it could be examined and found to be without fault. Remember, it couldn't have any faults, couldn't have any blemishes. So there was this whole thing going on during those first days of the Passover week from the 10th to the 14th. On the 14th, the Passover lamb, everybody's going to slaughter their lamb for their house, those who do that. But there's also this public ceremony where the high priest kills the Passover lamb. That takes place also on the, on the 14th. Is this, are you with me? Is this making sense to you? Okay. So, so we find in the scripture, we don't read about it, it's not in our Gospels, but you can picture as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem riding on that donkey, and as Karen read this morning, there was a procession in front of him and behind him. They were worshiping him. They were shouting, uh, Hosanna in the highest. They were, Hosanna to the son of David. They were proclaiming him as king and bringing him in. At the same time, all these other Passover lambs were being brought into the city. And the Passover lamb that the, that the priests selected for that year to be killed in the temple was also being brought into the city because it was the 10th day 
of the first month. It was when all the sheep came in. Jesus came in with all these other Passover lambs. He rode in at the same time. And then he spent, we're going to look at some of it this morning. He spent four days being examined by everybody by the priests, by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees, by the, both the Jews and the Gentiles. They examined him, and we'll, we'll read it, but they kept, they couldn't find any fault in him. And so at the same time as all these other Passover lambs were being examined, Jesus was in the temple getting questioned and grilled. And the cool thing, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but the cool thing is this lamb spoke back. This lamb answered the questions they asked and confused them and and they couldn't trip him up. But then he started asking them questions. And it's just awesome. It's just awesome to read. So I want to read this from a a couple different places. Uh, I want to begin in Luke chapter 19. Let's just read a little bit here. And then I'm going to go over to Matthew uh, 21. But let's look at uh, Luke chapter 19. And I'm just for the sake of time, what time is it? Okay. Um, I'm going to skip this first part. You guys, I think most of you know, he sent his disciples ahead to find this colt of a donkey. And because uh, in Zechariah 9.9, I believe it is, it was prophesied that he would come in on a donkey. So he's fulfilling that prophecy. And so the disciples went ahead, they found this donkey, they took it, they they brought it to him and he rode in uh, on this this colt, okay? And then it says, this is verse 35, then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road They also cut branches and put on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him, from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. What an atmosphere of praise. What an atmosphere. Heaven had waited for 1,500 years for this day when the Lamb of God would begin to ride into Jerusalem and this whole process would begin. There was such an atmosphere of praise that he says the stones would cry out if these people were silent. And in verse 41, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you. This is about, he's prophesying over Jerusalem. Days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So historically in 70 AD, the Roman uh, general Titus came into Jerusalem, put it under siege, came into Jerusalem, tore the the uh, temple apart brick by brick and melted all the gold out of it and took it. And Jerusalem was laid waste. Now, I know there's more prophetic um, to come uh, about this, but that was the first time at least that this took place uh, after Jesus said this. And so we know that in 70 years, but the point that I want for us as New Testament believers, the point that I want for us to get, it's important not to miss the visitation of God. And we are all capable of doing that. We are all capable as Christians of being in a setting, whether it's your own prayer time or whether it's here in church or worship night or conference or whatever it is, where God is there and moving. And we can be so distracted or so 
caught up in our own hurt or whatever it is, that we miss that visitation of God. We can do that. Even though God, I find this astounding, even though God has given us, every one of us, the ability to recognize his presence and recognize what he's doing, we can miss it. And so I think it's just a a set our hearts to always, when we come in, expect God's presence and expect and anticipate what he would want to do in us and always come with that frame of mind, whether, again, whether it's to church, whether it's to your own time, whatever it might be. And because, you know, our life is not, thank God, we're, we're on this side of the cross. Our life is not going to be totally destroyed because we miss it, but we will miss blessing. There's no question. God comes in with something. And, and I've had this happen where I was caught up, I was in a worship service and, you know, I was kind of caught up in my own thing and just having trouble focusing on the Lord. And then I'd look over and I'd see somebody else right there who was just completely engaged and engulfed in what God was doing. And so many times, just that visual of seeing somebody else worship, you can let that just draw you into that place because he's there for all of us. This makes sense to you. We don't want to miss the visitation of God. And we have frequent visitations uh, from the Lord. I mean, we can have visitations continue. Let's go over to Matthew 21. All right, this is the same story from Matthew's perspective, Matthew 21. All right, and I'm going to go down a little bit because we've already read some of that. So here they are, uh, begin reading in verse 9. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multiple, the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All right. And so, so I want you to get this pattern. So here comes Jesus, and massive praise is going forth first. Praise, right? Next verse, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and he drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes, have you never read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? All right, it's a quote from Psalm 8.2. And, and the rest of that verse, as many of you know, in Psalm 8.2 it says, you have pers- Jesus said, you have perfected praise. The psalm says, you have perfected strength. They're the same idea, the same word. The idea here, and it says, you, you've done it because of your enemies. To stop, to silence the mouth of the avenger and the enemy. And this is one of the places where we understand that the worship of God's people and the praises of God's people actually releases something into the spiritual atmosphere and restrains the works of darkness. And again, I believe that every time we gather as believers and we are together worshiping God, I believe that strategies of the devil are restrained where we are worshiping God. And I believe that even if somebody is not in a worship service somewhere in this valley, that as believers all over this valley lift their voices in praise, it becomes easier for that person to have some kind of revelation of who God is, for that person to somehow connect, it, be, be connect with the Lord because praise is powerful. But I want you to see the pattern here. This began with praise as they were coming in. Then Jesus went in and cleansed the temple. It's a picture of him coming into our lives and delivering us from sin. That's a picture of purity, of the Lord bringing us into a place of purity. And after that, 
he begins to, all these people start to come to him. So we go from praise, we go to purity, and then there's a release of God's power. There's prayer that goes forth, and there's a release of God's power. So you have, they're all P's, go guess. Uh, You have praise, you have purity, you have prayer, you have power released, and then it wraps up again with praise. Praise bookends this whole thing that's going on. But this is the first thing he did when he came into Jerusalem. The first thing he did was cleanse that temple and prepare it for what was going to take place. This makes sense to you. Does it? Okay. Now let's jump down. Let's just look at a few more here. Let's jump down to, uh, in Matthew 21, down to verse 23. Remember what we said? Tenth, and by the way, this took place. Jesus came into town on the 10th day of the first month, 10th day of Nisan, all right, along with all the other sheep. They're going to be examined. They begin to examine him. All right, in verse 23, it says, Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing this, these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing. That's what I mean. The lamb talks back in this, okay? Which, uh, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you what authority, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And here they go. They reasoned among themselves saying, oh, if we say it's from heaven, He will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They were examining him. They were trying to trip him up. But he just turned around and asked them a question. And they wouldn't answer it honestly. They were not interested in truth. They were interested in keeping their power and, and uh, keeping that religious structure and power. And so they said, oh, we don't know. They knew good and well who it was from. But they said, oh, we don't know. And so Jesus said, well, if you're not going to answer me, I'm not going to answer you. And he just didn't answer him. Let me jump over here to some notes. So uh, in Matthew chapter 22 beginning in verse 15. You want to look at a couple more of these? Okay. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. The Pharisees, they come with another question. Then the Pharisees went and plotted plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. So again, they're just trying to trip him up. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. And teach the way of God in truth. This is flattery, by the way. Uh, Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. And so they brought him a denarius, and he said, Whose image and inscription is on it? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said, Render, therefore, to Caesar." the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. And notice verse 22, when they heard these words, they marveled and they left him and they went their way. So they examined, couldn't find it. They couldn't trip him up. They couldn't find a problem and they left. So verse 23, the same day, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked saying, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were the, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even all the way to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, remember they don't believe in the resurrection, Whose wife of the seven will she be? They thought this was a tough challenge for Jesus. Jesus, I love this answer. You're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And he tells them that in the resurrection, we're not married or given in marriage. We're like the angels. It's a, it's a whole different system. But I love that answer. Oh, you're mistaken because 
you don't know the scriptures. These guys were considered themselves experts in the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Sometimes Jesus just, sweet Jesus, just got right in their, right in their face, okay? Couple more, verse 34, same chapter, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, because those two groups are in competition with each other, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, uh-oh, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great, greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So they go on and they question him and question him and question him. And then in, and I'm not going to read all this, but in Matthew chapter 23, the lamb speaks and he begins to pronounce woes on the Pharisees. He begins to pronounce these woes on the religious. He starts to talk back to him, tell him what all is wrong with them. But all through this, and let me let me look up the verse. You'll remember it. I'm sure you've most of you have read it. Um, over in, I just want to give you this. We're not going to go there. Luke chapter 20, verses 39 and 40. Uh, it says, this is after, again, all this questioning. And he, he asks them a question and, and Jesus answers. And it, it says, some teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. And no one dared ask him any more questions. So he went he came into town on the 10th with all those other sheep. He went into the temple and cleansed it. He had interaction with them that day and they examined him and found no fault in him. He went back out and stayed at Bethany and you'll remember that's when uh, on the way back in is when he cursed the fig tree that then dried up from the root. So they were going in and out of town for four days and he went to the temple and he would teach and they would question him. All the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all came and tried to trip him up and they could find no fault. He is the Lamb of God. They could find no fault and they finally gave up. Okay, They decided they wanted to kill him anyway. So they did that for four days. I'm going to explain this to you and then we'll look at it better next week. Okay. So we come to the 14th day, the day that the lamb has to be killed, all right? That 14th day, in this case, was a Thursday. It could be any day of the week. In this case, it was a Thursday. And we know that by the other Sabbaths, all right, by what it says about the Sabbaths. There are two different types of Sabbath. And this trips people up. This is why people think he was killed Friday afternoon. We can't make it make sense. In, in, uh, they had two different types of Sabbath. There was the weekly Sabbath every week that was Saturday. That's what we're familiar with, right? That was the weekly Sabbath. But in a number of these feasts, there were also high Sabbaths. There were holidays that were also a Sabbath. And one of those was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which took place on Friday, Friday of this week. So Friday and Saturday were both Sabbaths. So there are places in the scripture where it says, well, they had they wanted him taken off the cross and he had to be buried before the beginning of the Sabbath. All right? It's that Sabbath. It's the Friday Sabbath, not the Saturday Sabbath. I believe and and there's you can look this up. There's just loads of information about this. Jesus was actually crucified at 3 p.m. on Thursday on the 14th of Nisan when he was supposed to be crucified. So again, I'll have a little chart for you next week. But let's just think about it because I just want to go through it. So he comes in on the 10th. He's examined for four days. He, he wants to eat the Passover with his disciples. And there were a couple of times that you could, you could eat that Passover. And so the 14th shows up at 6 p.m. It becomes the 14th Thursday, the 14th of Nisan. And he had already sent them to prepare the place for them to eat. So sometime after 6 p.m., Jesus eats on Thursday. Jesus eats the Passover with his disciples. 
Then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested there during that night. The, during before dawn, Peter denies him three times, right? This is still all Thursday. They turn him over. Now the Jews have examined him and examined him and examined him, but they still want to kill him. They turn him over to the Romans. First of all, they send him to Herod. Herod doesn't want anything to do with it, can't find anything wrong with him either. They, and so Herod gets out of it by sending him to Pilate. Pilate multiple times, this is all on Thursday, multiple times said, I can't find any fault with this guy. I can't find any basis for your charges. I'm going to, how about if I just, and they kept saying, no, crucify him, crucify him. He calls himself king and all this stuff. And, and uh, Pilate finally says, what if I just scourge him and let him go? And they say, no, we want Barabbas released to us, who was a thief, get this picture, was a thief and had led a rebellion. So he was, what a picture of the devil. And they're saying, no, we're exchanging. We don't want that one. We want the thief and the murderer, the thief and the insurrectionist. That's who we want released to us. What a spiritual picture that is. So Pilate finally gives in. This is Thursday morning and sends Jesus off to be crucified. He's crucified at nine o'clock in the morning, third hour. He's on the cross for six hours, Thursday. He's on the cross for six hours. And he, this is so incredible. On that 14th day, the lamb in the temple, the, the other lamb, the lamb that the priest had, is brought in and tied to the altar for six hours. Jesus is tied and nailed to the cross for six hours. And at exactly 3 p.m., going all the way back to Exodus, which we already read, exactly 3 p.m., the high priest kills that lamb and says, it is finished. And at that same moment, at 3 p.m., Jesus gives up his spirit on the cross and says, it is finished. It is that detailed. What God went to such extreme lengths to show that this was the Lamb of God. And then the priests come and they say, look, Sabbath is coming, Friday, day of unleavened bread, high Sabbath, not Saturday, high Sabbath, Friday. That's coming. We can't have somebody. This is religion through and through. We can't have some. We're murdering him. But we can't have them hanging on the cross. That would look bad. That, that would look bad on the outside. We got to look good. So you got to get him off of there before 6 p.m., which is the next day. It's the day when they would eat the Passover lamb. You got to get them off that cross. You got to get all of them off the cross. So they come. Jesus has already given up his life. The other two, you know, they break their legs and, and so on. And so he's in the ground. He's, he's buried before 6 p.m. on that day. He's buried before we transfer to the 15th of Nisan, which is the day of unleavened bread. So he died. There is, there, he dies during the day on Thursday. Then there is the night, which we would call, we would call Friday coming up to morning. So there's a, a, a night and a day, and then there's a night and a day into Saturday and a night on Saturday afternoon and another day in the morning on Sunday, and he's raised from the dead. And I will show you a chart of this next week. So why do we do Good Friday on Friday? I think it mainly hangs on a verse out of Mark where, where they say, uh, they talk about the Sabbath, and people think they're talking about Saturday, but really they're talking about the Day of Unleavened Bread. It, this all lines up with the whole rest of the Bible, okay? And so there were three days and there were three nights. And, and so, and then Jesus, and then, I got to quit, I'm sorry. Jesus then rises from the dead on the final part of that whole feast day called the day of first fruits. And the day of first fruits, it's a, it's a celebration of new life. And I'll give you a list next week if I have time of all the things that happened throughout Bible history on that same day of first fruits. Noah came out of the ark on the day of first fruits. A bunch of things happened on that day of first fruits. And then Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of our salvation. All right, does this make any sense to you this morning? 
what an awesome picture God drew for us. And he had real people rehearse it in real time, in real lives, to demonstrate it for generations so that we can look at it and go, there's no question, this guy was the Lamb of God. Thank you for being so patient. Let's stand up and pray this morning. Isn't that good? Man, I love this stuff. Father, we just thank you so much. God, I'm, I thank you, first of all, you're so gracious to show us all of this. You are so, you went so far, and you still do. You're so faithful, Lord, to show us who you are and to show us who Jesus is. And Father, as we go into this week, Lord, I just pray, I don't want to mess up anybody's Good Friday, God, but I just pray, Father, that throughout this week, I don't care what day we celebrated on, God, we celebrate our lamb, our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us. And we once again, just freshly partake of the blood of Jesus. And we put it over, the, over our house, over this temple, over, over our lives. And we thank you for the deliverance from sin. We thank you for the new life you have given to us. And Father, I, as we celebrate this week, God, we can do nothing more than give thanks to you for what you have done on our behalf. We love you so much. I pray again that all of us would just have a bigger, bigger, bigger picture of Christ and what he did. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you unfortunately were here today, so you'll probably hear a lot of this again next week. Uh, but uh, I want to go through the pieces of that of Passover itself. There's a lot of cool stuff there. But I did want to say with this Good Friday thing, if you celebrate on Friday, fine. I don't think it matters what day. I was taught growing up, I never could figure out why is, how is that three days and three nights? But I think the reality is Jesus was crucified and died. He died at three o'clock on what would be Thursday afternoon. So anyway, I'll leave it with you. All right, let's say this on the count of three. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gundersen Basin in the world. And then we will be dismissed and we will all go out there and be his church, right? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.